0: In Season 2 of Design Talk, we want to highlight the intersection between inclusive design and design thinking. We'll be talking with the people who need, the people who use, and the people who design accessible objects. In this episode, Tina Lowe, UCD's campus accessibility officer, and I talk about the links between design thinking and universal design. We also talk about the idea of empathy and how to spark design awareness in others.
1: So with regard to design thinking, I'm wondering, Alan, how do you think that we could get students on board when they are thinking of designing environments or products?
0: Uh, it's a good question, Tina, and one that I think we've got a, a, a quite a different approach with this class, and that is we throw the students into the situation of being that person who has something that needs to be accommodated one of the best experiences I think that uh, students have said have had, they're thrown into the experience of being a wheelchair user, which from the very outset is very confronting because you're in a building, you immediately need to cope with the doors and they're at a different perspective. So I think that's one of the ways we've, do, we, we've achieved uh, a sense of, uh, giving them that visceral sense of en- empathy.
1: I, I can see benefits in that, but I think it can be really helpful because it's like when we do um blind awareness training with the mobility instructor from the National Council for the Blind or from another organization like Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind. They blindfold people to show them. and But before they do it, they teach it how to guide somebody or, you know, so you don't just do it kind of randomly. Like, I think when things like that are done, if you show the people how to do it properly or how best to show them, I think it's a very good experience because It gives you a much better sense of what it could be like to be using a wheelchair or a cane or a guide dog. And also, I think it's really good to show people who are designing buildings or products that the first thing you'll notice if you're in a wheelchair is you're at a different height to most people. So the first thing you're going to have to do is find a push button or a door handle or something. If it isn't a sliding door, that's at the level. And that's a huge thing. And that's a really simple kind of product design. Like even if you go into the city center or anywhere with, you know, really nicely designed restaurants or bars or hotels, not all of them, but some of them. The first thing is the doorway is really narrow. There's usually a step, you know, so you're excluding so many people entering into really, really popular venues that are supposed to be accessible there's a lot of things like that that people don't think about that affect so many different people and that's because they haven't consulted with the users or they haven't thought about design in terms of design thinking.
0: Yeah so so what this this issue this you you touched on a point there and that is is it valid for us to simulate the um, uh, environment Is that a valid thing for students to actually engage in experientially or is that something we should really set aside for somebody who's actually visually impaired or actually physically impaired needing to use a wheelchair
1: I personally think that you can do it both ways like I think that you can bring somebody in you know with who uses a wheelchair from an organization or who's uh, works in them you know speaks a motivational speaker or person who talks about accessibility or and then you similarly you can bring the instructors from the national council for the blind or the irish guide dogs for the blind who are trained to teach people you know they're actually mobility instructors so they're re you know they know how to do all this and they teach you all the ways and it's really good because i think it's a great way of learning if you've never had experience of anyone with who's blind or uses a wheelchair or has any sort of a uh, mobility disability, you won't know what to do. You won't know how to approach the person. You find it quite awkward, which is absolutely natural. But when you learn something or you know somebody, it's amazing. Like it instantly breaks any sort of a barrier. It makes people far less awkward. But I also think it's really, really instructive because it teaches people how to navigate the environment and, and what it's actually like. So I think there's there's a place for the two. And I don't think it's, I think it can be very instructive if it's done in the right empathy or environment and done with experts as well. And then also people who actually have disabilities. I think it's a really good way to teach, to show people. And I think students especially, I think it's a great way to show them and make things far less awkward when i became blind then i started to enter into a totally different world where people you know didn't know how to address you because it was awkward you know so so that's why i think it's always a good thing to show people the reality of what it's like because then it's really instructive and it, it doesn't make you know you you don't have to it's not all about difficulties or whatever there's always ways around things so it's so it's a good thing so what is design thinking alan
0: to me design thinking is literally permission to take action in the world it's nothing more than that but if you read up on it you, you see there's a lot of this sort of it's a process it's a structured process it has this very defined format typically being applied in organizations So from an organizational strategy perspective, design thinking is a a fast process of sprint development, rapid prototyping. Jack Nape wrote a book called The Sprint. It's evolved through uh, venture capital firms facilitating rapid prototyping, testing and feedback in the companies they're investing in. So they have a day for imagining the goal, what it is they're intending to do. Then they explore possibilities for addressing that goal. And then they make these decisions of the the various choices they've been considering or coming up with. And then they spend a, a day or so building and tinkering with possible implementations but very rough it's very very rough but anything that can give them feedback that's what they want they want something substantial or concrete so that a user can use it and then the last day they actually test these prototypes and observe how how people interact with them and then they evaluate them so it's just very compressed product development design process is what design thinking is uh, for some but for me it's literally it's permission to hack the world so you know the, the sort of doors that you're annoyed by
1: yeah, the doors, the battery operated push button revolving doors instead of putting in sliding doors. Yeah, that's an example of a, an, a
0: well-intended intervention.
1: And then the other part of it is that it isn't using the concept that you've just described of design thinking properly, because I think the whole thing about universal access and design is that you need to consult with the user. And that's really good. If people consult with, we'll say, somebody who needs to use an accessible door, they will find that the best advice they will get will be to put in sliding doors because they work. Who are
0: the people who use accessible doors?
1: Well, everybody in the world who has, we'll say, a mobility disability, people who use walkers, blind people with guide dogs, people who are pushing... We'd say toddlers in boogies. Also, people we'd say like on a campus like UCD, there will be a lot of people pushing trolleys, transporting equipment, or if people are going to a meeting and they have to bring the refreshments, you'll see a lot of people pushing big trolleys around the campus, which are very difficult to manoeuvre in and out of doors. So that would be another use for people to use sliding doors. But it's it's mainly it's anybody who who needs assistance to get through a door that has some sort of a a mobility issue.
0: That's a great example of a range of users. And you're not saying, oh, this is a door only for people with a physical... No, no, no.
1: And And that's the whole thing about, since I've started to work in this area of accessibility, the big changes in it will be that it's gone from maybe 20 years ago, people thinking in terms only that when you ask them to make a building or an environment accessible that people always immediately thought of somebody who uses a wheelchair. But it's not. It's for everybody. Every single person in the world can benefit from designing an environment that suits everyone's needs. The campus in UCD is a really good example of a diverse population because we have all ages We've lots of different people with different mobility impairments or disabilities. We've lots of different populations, ethnicity. So it's a really good example of if you create a campus that's suitable for everyone's needs, that you do actually make your everyone's life so much easier. And then it, I think sometimes people see it, not as much now, but sometimes people will do the minimal to make something work but then it's short-sighted because they'll say oh well it's too expensive to put in sliding doors but if they don't put them in then the other type of doors a revolving door that you always have to make sure the person who opens up the building every day has to press the button to enable the door to actually work you're causing so much unnecessary difficulties for so many people because invariably the button isn't pressed
0: If you like the podcast, click follow, share, and talk about it with your friends. Thank you for listening to Design Talk.